on the Sunday morning of the Raiders' first home preseason game of 2022. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here every Sunday morning on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio. We are coming to you live from two different locations today. Me and our social media director, Spencer the Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the wind. Uh, we're at the Residential Bank Corp headquarters in Henderson, Nevada, and producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who is also the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network, is handling the duties back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio in Las Vegas. The reason for this if you haven't paid attention uh, for to Fox for a while or uh, any of the stations that Lotus um, is because for just about two and a half years now, the pandemic that began in March, 2020 continues to keep us working remotely. I hear that might change soon, but I've heard that for a while. So let's wait and see. Uh, the show is also streaming on the LV sports network and you can watch the show on Facebook live and YouTube. The page is called out of line. That's O U T T A L I N E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at out of line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox sports resident Bay Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby and it's time for what's on tap. What's on tap brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 today to get information on all the home financing options available for you in the state of Nevada. On tap, um, uh, who uh, will be the Vegas Golden Knights goaltender in 2022? The Aces play their last regular season game and an icon retires at Michelob Ultra Arena. Uh, teams in the NFL and their quarterback situation, there's a few of them. I know Magnum's going to be interested in one uh, after yesterday. Um, and um, also, uh, the, again, the Raiders do play their first regular season, I should say first preseason home game at um, Allegiant Stadium without a, two of probably their most prominent members. We'll talk about that. That is what's on tap if you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own. Choose a company you can trust. Turn to Residential Bank Corp. Funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on your home financing options today. And we're going to get right to it, guys. Let's get right to Nightcap because we've got some things to talk about. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Go, um, the Vegas Golden Knights announced that starting goalie Robin Leonard will likely be out for the season. It was determined that he would require hip surgery with no timetable for his return. This leaves the Golden Knights without an NHL starting goalie. What do I mean by that? Well, Laurent Brassois, um, last season's backup, is still on injured reserve. If Brassois isn't ready to return when the season starts, they are left with Michael Hutchinson, 
who's only played 38 games in the NHL since uh, 2016 and 2017 season. And, of course, Logan Thompson, who has a career total of 20 NHL games, although Logan looked great last year, looked like he's ready to step up and be a full-time NHL goaltender. But is that as a starting goaltender that can lead a team that really – is trying to be geared up to make a run at the Stanley Cup. Is he that guy that can play in 82 games? And obviously he won't play 82, but is he a guy that can play in 60 games and a postseason? Um, Chris, before I bring in, I'm just going to say possible, possibly looking around the NHL at goaltenders that might be available because I think you want to look at grabbing one with experience, I think Logan Thompson should get the nod to start the season based on what he did for them last year. At least give the guy maybe an initial shot, but you got to have a quality goaltender that you know is proven in the NHL. A guy that I'm thinking of looking around, maybe the Montreal Canadiens. Jake Allen, um, he's got three, you know, they've got three NHL signed goaltenders right now. And Carey Price has kind of said he doesn't want to play more than 50 games, but he feels really healthy. If he can be healthy going into next season, they can afford to get rid of a guy like Jake Allen, who also helps their, their salary cap situation. Yeah, Jake Allen was a guy who, who Brian, I, I initially thought of. Um, you know, the, the, the one, the one you know, there, there's, there's a couple different things with Jake Allen. The first thing I'll say is the one knock on Jake Allen is he's making $5 million a year. So I think if you're the Golden Knights, the question becomes, do you want to eat up all $5 million of Robin Leonard's salary that that is going to go on LTIR on a goalie. The other question is, is Jake Allen good enough of a goalie to lead you to a Stanley Cup final? I think those are questions that only the Golden Knights front office can answer. I think Jake Allen is a good goalie. I think Jake Allen is, is fine. I don't think Jake Allen is the answer because I'm going to refer back to point one I made. As, a, as someone who tries to approach this objectively, I don't think that the Golden Knights will want to use all $5 million of Robin Leonard's salary that, as I mentioned, will be on LTIR on a goalie. A guy who who kind of, you know, and, and I don't know the, the dynamics of this situation, but I look at a team like Columbus. And Elvis Merzlikens, who is one of my favorite players in the league, I, I should throw that out there because the guy, the guy's a... He's, he's a trip. He's a great guy, and he's a fun guy, and he's a good goalie. But their backup is Jonas Corposalo, and he's a guy who, who they were really, really high on, but he's the backup, and he's cheap. And he was a free agent this year, and they only signed him to a one-year deal. He's only making like $1.8 million. I wonder if that's a guy that the Golden Knights look at because, look, the reality, Brian, and you mentioned it, we don't know how long Laurent Brossois is going to be out to start the season. We, we got a little bit of an inclination that he won't be ready for the start of camp. We don't have a time frame on his return. But the problem now becomes for the Golden Knights, that was a guy who, when you were looking at, at potential salary based on the play of Logan Thompson, when you were looking at this back in June, or in April when the Golden Knights season ended, and you knew that they were going to be over the salary cap. Laurent Brossois was a name that kind of jumped out as a, as a possibility of, of being moved because he 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 eats up two and a half million, almost two and a half million on your salary cap, and he's going to be the backup. And Logan Thompson proved last year that he he can play in the NHL. 
So I think a lot of people, myself included, were kind of looking at going into this season with Robin Leonard as your number one and Logan Thompson as your number two. Well, obviously, things have changed dramatically since that end-of-the-season press conference back in April, which which seems like a lifetime ago. It's so weird that, that we haven't had Golden Knights basically in almost four months. But, uh, Brian, I, 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 I look around the league. There's not a lot of names that jump out at me. Thomas Grice is a name, possibly. Uh Semyon Varlamov of the Islanders is another name, but again, he's a guy who's going to, and, and maybe I have it back backwards. Varlamov is the guy who's making $5 million. I'd have to double check and see what Jake Allen is making. He may not be making $5 million, and I may have been totally off on that, and I apologize if, if I had that right but or wrong, but Semyon Varlamov is a guy who I think he's a top-class goalie. The problem is he was hurt a lot last year, and Jake Jake Allen, for the record, $2.875 million. Yes. So that, that makes a go. world of difference in terms of uh, what the Golden Knights would be able to do flexible-wise. So um, th- I, I guess all the points I made for Varlamov or for, for Allen would then apply to Jake a- or, or uh, never mind. I'm, I'm all messed up. So long story short, Jake Allen is, is a possibility uh, I, I do like Varlamov better than Jake Allen. I think Varlamov is a guy who who certainly, certainly has a capability of being a number one goalie in the NHL. He's only under contract for one more year. So the question would be, and I'll go back to my original point, is do you want all $5 million to go to your goalie? I don't know. I don't know if the Golden Knights want to play that game because I think they still have uh, Nick Haig that needs to be resigned. Yesterday they resigned Jake Lecision and Paul Cotter, but those are minor league deals. So that's not really going to factor too much into what the Golden Knights are doing. The real question, Brian, is how much cap space will they have left after they resign or if they resign Nick Haig? I, I don't know. Um the, the the question becomes what do you want to do? Do you do you want to give the reins to Logan Thompson? Because I don't think Michael Hutchinson is going to be your number one goalie. Does this team feel confident that Logan Thompson, a guy who's played 20 games in the NHL, he's done very well in those games, but is he ready to handle the grind of a full-time number one NHL goalie on a perennial Stanley Cup contender? I, I can't answer that, Brian. I don't know. I like Logan Thompson. I will I will say that I think this team certainly needs to go out and get another established veteran goalie because I don't think Michael Hutchinson is the answer. And quite frankly, I don't really think Loren Brossois is the answer either. What we saw of Loren Brossois last year, he had some moments where he looked really good, but for the most part, he looked like a backup goalie. If Logan Thompson is your guy and you tab him to be your guy, you're, you are going to have to ride him through thick and thin when he hits that wall and and he struggles a little bit because there will be times I mean he's he would be a rookie long you know I mean obviously he played last year but in terms of beginning the season on an NHL roster and being there for all 82 games this would be his first full season if you tab him as your guy you need to ride or die with Logan Thompson and Brian I I don't really know if that's the direction the Golden Knights are going to go if it's me I'm going out and making a move to bring in a veteran goalie. Michael Hutchinson can be my my 
goalie for the Silver Knights. Logan Thompson might be my guy, but I need an established backup if that's the decision I make. If you go out and get Corpusalo, then you have a goalie competition going into camp. Corpusalo is a guy who certainly could win that that number one goalie job. And I think he's a guy with a change of scenery. It would do him well. The, the problem then becomes if if you do trade for that guy, he's pretty young. He's only 26. If you do trade for that guy and he has an unbelievable season, then next year you have a problem because you'll have three goalies, Robin Leonard, um, Logan Thompson, and then Corpusalo. Corpusalo would be a free agent. So that would that would create, if the guy plays out of his mind, then what do you do? I don't I don't know what they're gonna do. I I I have zero speculation. I will say this. The news on Robin Leonard, it came out of nowhere. Like you're just sitting in your desk or whatever, or you're 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 scrolling through your phone and you see the Golden Knights tweet out Robin Leonard has hip surgery, will miss entire season. Whoa, hey, where did that come from? Yeah. Like we had zero inclination that there was even an issue with his hip. Like when we talked to Kelly McCrimmon. Back when they re-signed Riley Smith, which was in, in early July, about a month ago, we had this press conference. And, hey, what's the time frame on Robin Leonard? Well, it's going to be, you know, close. We, we think he's going to be ready for camp. He's coming in for very soon to start rehabbing with the team and, and, and this and that. So you had zero inclination as a fan, as a media member, that there was even an issue. The big question that needs to be answered is at what point did Robin Leonard know that he was going to require hip surgery and at what point did the team know? Because if the team knew, and I will say this as as objectively as possible, but if the team knew a month ago that Robin Leonard was going to have to require hip surgery and there was a possibility that he wasn't going to play on in the season, then the team dropped the ball because they could have gone out at that point and not signed Michael Hutchinson and signed a guy like Halak, who I know is represented by Alan Walsh, but a guy who has history with Bruce, Bruce Cassidy, Yaroslav Halak, who, who is a cer- certainly a more than capable NHL goalie. Uh, he's with the Rangers. He's not leaving New York. One-year deal. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be the backup to Igor Shosturkin. But if they knew back then, they dropped the ball, Brian, and, and they have a lot of explaining to do if that's the case. Yeah, well, you know, overall, the Golden Knights don't have any cap space available. They're in the negative by almost $6 million, but they did acquire Shane Weber's contract, as we knew, from the Canadians in the offseason uh, for, um, you know, for Dadanoff. And this does allow them to have $7.8 million in cap relief with Weber on long-term injury reserve. As you said a couple weeks ago, Chris, he probably... And, and very likely may never play in the NHL again. He's about done. But now that Leonard will be out for the season, his $5 million cap um, it, it can be put on the long-term injured reserve as well, leaving the Golden Knights with almost $13 million in cap space, which is more than enough room to take a contract like from the Habs with Allen's low contract, as you said, about 2.8 and change. Uh, Montreal could also add a guy like Joel Armia and his $3. million contract, or even Mike Hoffman um, and his $4.5 million contract. Hoffman's contract might be a little bit too too high to work, 
but that all could work out. Then the Canadians, they have caps cap space issues of their own. And if they want to use a trade with Allen to get rid of a contract, that's an excellent way to do it. Since they are in a position to clear cap space, they won't want any more money coming back or at least nothing high. If they can get Vegas to take Armia's contract um, or even better for the Golden Knights, Paul Byron, it's an expiring contract and he might be going on a long-term injured reserve. Then the Habs clear up enough space to sign their um, restricted free agents and have some wiggle room left over. They need around four to five, four to 4.5 million. I think it is. And they will have just over 6 million if they can swing a deal to move Armia or Byron with Allen. So it does make sense for them and for the Golden Knights to take a guy like Jake Allen, who I think would be a really good fit. You got him, and then, you know, again, Logan Thompson with what he did last year. Logan Thompson, to know there's relief for him, I think that works out well, because I agree with you as well, Chris. I don't think uh, Michael Hutchinson's the answer at all for this team. He just hasn't played a lot in the years he's been in the National Hockey League. All right, let's move on real quick, guys. I wanted to talk about the Aces. Uh, I want to say it is a big game all around today as they host uh, the Seattle Storm to, to, uh, this afternoon in a little bit. Um, they, they play the Seattle Storm Um in uh, I think it's at noon at um, Michelob Ultra Arena at Mandalay Bay. If you haven't seen an Aces game, man, I finally got to my first one. What a game I saw playing the Chicago Sky. Just an unbelievable game. And, um, you know, Candace Parker is good of a uh, women's basketball player as there probably is in the world right now. And she probably poses as much of a problem for Asia Wilson as anybody out there defensively. But uh, the Aces led by almost double digits the entire game. And they were without De'Erica Hamby, who's probably out for all of the postseason. And yet her 20-plus minutes a game were absorbed, and the Aces looked great. They've won three in a row now where the Chicago Sky is going in a different direction. Uh, they've, they've lost two in a row, but you've got two teams right now at 25 and 10, and one team in um, the Sun that is uh, the Connecticut Sun, which is 24 and 11. If they win today and both the Sky and the Aces lose, you'll have three teams tied with the best record in WNBA. And I don't know how it pans out other than they've got a funky playoff format where um, eight teams make the playoffs this year. Ten teams are still in the picture with one game to go, which is pretty crazy. And again, the Aces can finish as high as the number one seed or I think maybe as low as the number three seed, depending on what come what happens today. So interesting game and a huge game for the Storm too, because they've got the uh, they they have the um, uh, Mystics who are right on their tail, who could potentially get the fourth seed, knocking them to the fifth seed and taking away home court advantage. But the biggest thing about today's game, probably for the WNBA for women's basketball, is Sue Bird is retiring. Uh, this will be her final regular season game. Of course, she plays for the Seattle Storm. So a huge game. It's sold out at T-Mobile Arena. If you can get tickets or get in, I strongly recommend you do. If not, definitely get something for the postseason. It's pretty cool when that place is packed. It gets loud. It gets exciting. They're throwing T-shirts. It's a good time, man. Check it out if you can. Um, but um, it's going to be an interesting run. And the Aces have everything in place right now to win a WNBA title. Yes, they're going to miss De'Erica Hamby. But the bottom line is Kelsey Plum could be the MVP of the league this year. So could Asia Wilson. And the improvement of Jackie Young this year probably 
the best of any player in the WNBA from two years ago, when she was drafted number one and everyone was saying, wow, that might not have been a good pick. She really struggled at first, but ever since she won that gold medal in the Olympics and the three on three games, uh, along with Kelsey Plum, both of them have become the best backcourt together in the WNBA. And it's pretty cool to watch. And it's an exciting form of basketball. Spence, go ahead, man, and hit it. Let's get right to fact this. Facts this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. The Dallas Cowboys, uh, uh, 20-21 season ended with a playoff loss to the San Francisco 49ers, a game in which the NFL's most penalized team was assessed 14 penalties. The total number of penalties in last night's preseason loss in Denver was 17. I know it's a preseason game, but this was a number Mike McCarthy's team never amassed last season, and it is the highest number of penalties by any team so far this preseason. The penalties were an issue across the board, infractions committed by offense and defensive players, rookies and veterans, they all were screwing up. McCarthy has been criticized for his team's undisciplined play, and after last season, he vowed to prioritize avoiding penalties. He has emphasized the physical playing style, but one that doesn't cross the line so often. Improvement is not yet evident. Spencer, under McCarthy, uh, the Cowboys went from 6-10 and and third in the NFC East in his first season, and that was in 2020, and they improved to 12-5 and and first in the NFC East in 2021, but lost at home to the San Francisco 49ers in the wildcard round. What do you think... Mike McCarthy's window is in Dallas, especially looking at the fact that this team over the past two seasons has been the most penalized team in the NFL. And one thing before I'll say before I let you answer is, you know, I don't know if penalties equate to poor play. You would think normally that's a really bad thing, but the four teams that are the most penalized teams over the past two seasons, the Cowboys, 266 penalties. I know Leo love my statistics. Uh, the Bills, 261 penalties. The Raiders, 260 penalties. And also the Cardinals, 260 penalties. You know one thing all four of those teams have in common? They all made the playoffs last year. But the only team with a playoff win was the Buffalo Bills. And they lost in the second round of the playoffs to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but, again... Jerry Jones is a guy that likes discipline and more than ever, he likes winning. There's no way he's giving Mike McCarthy the leash he gave Jason Garrett, right? Yeah, I agree with you. Sorry. I just had to grab that microphone a little bit of a different setup today. Uh, The Cowboys are an interesting situation because I think a lot of these years they've benefited because everyone else in the division, I would say at least in the last five years have been just really subpar, right? You're getting free, free wins a season, Obviously, not every single time, but when you look at Washington and you look at the Eagles after their Super Bowl run and the Giants, obviously, since Eli Manning's left, have done literally nothing. So I think the Cowboys have been the biggest beneficiaries of that. So when they go to the playoffs, you know, they may have like an inflated record. And if you look at someone like the Raiders, especially this season, every single time they go into the year, it's like most of their division's great. And a lot of these other divisions are really good, too, like the AFC North and But when you look on paper, when you look at the Cowboys on paper, they have, you know, obviously one of the best offenses in the NFL. They have a top 10 tight end. They have two top 10 receivers. Their defense is pretty good. Micah Parsons obviously was like a pretty big thing that happened last year that they were excited for. I'm sure they 
you know, of course they drafted him, but on some level they get, did get lucky to get an all-pro like linebacker out of their first year. So we'll see what ends up happening. But I thought when they hired Mike McCarthy, it was such a lateral move. You know, to go from, yes, Mike McCarthy does have a Super Bowl. Like, no one can doubt that. No one can take that away from him. And really, he's had a lot of success. But he's also had the benefit of inheriting some amazing teams. Almost akin to, to you know, John Gruden taking over Tampa Bay way back in the day. Uh, I've never seen an impressive team from him. When you, Especially getting one Super Bowl out of Aaron Rodgers on all those years, on all those great teams. Some of that could lay on Aaron Rodgers, but I think a lot of the blame also has to go on their head coach. We'll see what ends up happening this year, but it's going to be a little more difficult. Every single team in their division got significantly better. So I also, I honestly do not expect a 12-win season. So if they go for 10 wins and go into the wildcard round and get knocked out, is that the end of Mike McCarthy's job? Probably. It probably is. Yeah, Spencer, I don't know if it is. And I mean, the reason I don't is because when you say it's a lateral move, how do you say a lateral move when you've got a guy like Mike McCarthy? Let's just look at the body of work. 15 seasons as an NFL head coach, seven division titles, four conference championship games, and one Super Bowl victory. Man, that is a hell of a pedigree. I mean, when you look at the overall picture, okay, yes, he inherited Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. I understand that, but you still have to win. He goes to Dallas, and you want to talk about completely turning the team around. Six and ten in his first season, third in the NFC East. Last year, 12 and five, and again, losing in that first season, Dak Prescott. Now, 12 and five, they win the NFC East, but they host San Francisco and they lose at home in the first round of the playoffs, a game that really I think Jerry Jones and most of Dallas fans and even most of the media expected them to win that game. San Francisco did have success. They went on to lose to the Rams in the NFC Championship game. But again, Dallas couldn't get out of their own way with penalties. A lot of penalties in that NFC Championship game, as we know. We talked about that a little bit earlier. I think 14 penalties in that game. And then he turns around the very next game, a preseason game, 17 penalties. Again, we just said the four most penalized teams in the last two years did make the playoffs last year, but only one team had even moderate success in the postseason. Discipline is a huge part of this game. 17 penalties in a game. I don't give a crap if it's preseason. Spencer, that's god-awful. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not a great sign, especially when you harp on it. I think I think his biggest problem is not the conceptual part of the game. I think he has a really good game plan for a lot of these. It's just that he doesn't connect well with his players. Because if you're having committing all that penalties, of course, he's not the one committing them, right? <laughs> he's not actually out there on the field. But it's indicative of your coaching style. It's indicative that maybe you're going a little too loose on your drills and that he's focusing on the wrong things. Because the thing about being a head coach is I think it's like the hardest job on the field other than maybe being like a quarterback because you have, you're have you in charge of so much. You run so many things. You're in charge of like over well, like 60, over 60 people on the field at one time. And basically what the outcome is on you. You have to be not only be able to game plan effectively, you have to be able to delegate effectively. Uh, and you also have to be like a friend, <laughs> not a friend, but you have to be like a figure to these grown men who are making like hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think that over the years, that's been his biggest struggle. Uh, he, You know, they had, they've had the whole Ezekiel Elliott thing. It's just like the team structure doesn't seem to be in place for them to flourish. Uh, so, like I said, I think this is going to be a really tough year for them. It's going to be the toughest year because while they did essentially get slightly better, 
or I would say probably they stayed stagnant. Like they, when you want to look at the Eagles, they got AJ Brown. You want to look at the, you know, the Giants, obviously they have like a head coach who isn't a special teams head coach is probably a step in the right direction. A great offensive coordinator from Buffalo. Uh, and then, you know, Washington has at least a quarterback. Now I know Carson Wentz isn't everyone's favorite quarterback, but I think he did have like a 27 touchdown to five interception ratio. It wasn't until the last two games that everyone really had the biggest problem with them. So if the Washington can steal a game from the Cowboys, if the Giants probably not could, you would expect the Eagles to just because of the matchup and how good that they've gotten. When you put all those together, I mean, if they miss the playoffs, obviously he's gone. But I don't know if the wild card's enough for Dallas fans because, I don't know, Dallas hasn't done anything since the 80s anyways. But it, it's it's just the other part of this, and the last thing I'll say here, is that it is the Cowboys. So there's always going to be an extra level of drama if you look at his body, if you look at Mike's body of work, and if he was played for the Raiders, if he played for the Jaguars and brought them to the playoffs and all these things, I think the fans would be a lot more receptive. But delusional Cowboys fans only want Super Bowls. And I think that you're just setting up any head coach for failure, especially a guy like Mike McCarthy, who has this moniker of not being very good in the playoffs. Yeah, and, you know, McCarthy had his issues with Aaron Rodgers. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's not really what you'd call a player's coach. And, you know, um, I don't want to say Dak Prescott's a prima donna because he's not. He's a hardworking guy that can definitely take a hit. Big, strong, tough, tough quarterback. Um, but you got to find a way for discipline. And um, like I said, the penalties will be Jerry Jones's excuse for uh, excusing Mike McCarthy if the Cowboys don't have success this year and don't follow this 12-4 and season up with another playoff run. I mean, that's expected, and I think this year the Cowboys just aren't expected to make the playoffs. They're expected to probably win in the playoffs. So it's going to be interesting. I don't think McCarthy's fired at the end of this year. It's his third season, um, but I think the leash is extremely short if the Cowboys don't have success this year. and If they have a, a abysmal season, like win six games or something, yeah, he will probably be on the chopping block at the end of this year. I think uh, Jerry Jones got such scrutiny for hanging on to Jason Garrett for so long. I don't know what his love affair was with Jason Garrett. I don't know what Jason Garrett had on Jerry Jones or if Jerry Jones just is old. But uh, I amazing the leash that he gave to Jason Garrett, and I just don't see him ever doing that again as long as he's control in control of the Dallas Cowboys. Listen, moving on, speaking of the Dallas Cowboys, and we're talking about quarterbacks for a second ago. Look at me trying to segue into the talking about quarterbacks in the NFL. But, you know, there is uh, some, some, some discussions about quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, I'm going to start before I get to Magnum, because I know he, he's probably chomping at the bit to talk about the Jets. Uh, 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 we'll call it a spill yesterday because it was a non-contact injury to their quarterback. We'll talk about it in a minute. But starting with, like, the Pittsburgh Steelers, when you talk about quarterbacks, you know, replacing a legend. You know, if teams have had to do it, you know, in the past, and and Ben Roethlisberger, two-time Super Bowl champion, I mean, without question, first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, and now you replace him. And who are you going to replace him with? Are you going to play replace him with Mitch Trubisky? Oof. Uh, nine starts in his last, uh, I, I think nine starts last season he had. And, um, you know, they moved right on from him. And, uh, uh, you know, without much of a problem going with a, a second year quarterback who I think there's a huge upside with Justin Fields. But again, 
you know, Mitch Trubisky kicked him to the curb after he was a first-round draft pick. Kenny Pickett, I know they're really high at him. He had a good game yesterday against the Seahawks, 13 of 15, 95 yards, two touchdowns. Matter of fact, all three Steelers looked decent yesterday. Mason Rudolph had was 9 for 15 with 93 yards and a touchdown. And Trubisky, 4 of 7, 63 yards and a touchdown. He started the game. Um I think they want to get Kenny Pickett in there as quickly as possible. My opinion, I don't think he will start the season as their QB. He might he might even be the third string quarterback because Mason Rudolph has so much experience. But I think they really want to get him in class and get him moved up quickly. I'm going to go out on a limb right now, and I say there's no way game nine that either Mason Rudolph or Mitch Trubisky are the starters unless Kenny Pickett gets hurt. I think by game nine of the season, you're hearing that here, Kenny Pickett will be the starting quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he's the heir apparent. You know, is he that good? Who knows, man? I mean, it's so hard to say. you got so many young guys taking the helm this year. So interesting to see what's going to happen with Trey Lance up in San Francisco. It's it's amazing, too. you got a guy that in three years has taken a team to two conference championship games and a Super Bowl, and they want him gone. But the problem with Jimmy G is a wild card. Every game he is going to do something to hurt your team. Jimmy, you need a quarterback, especially when you've got a team like San Francisco with the weapons they have now. I mean, at the skill positions, you need a quarterback who is going to be a game manager, not a guy that's going to try to win the game unless you're a superstar. We all know that uh, that is not the case with Jimmy Garoppolo. So, you know, I think maybe Trey Lance, more athleticism, definitely can definitely really good outside of the pocket. Although Jimmy G, I always thought was an underrated running quarterback. Um, but Lance, uh, Trey Lance looks like if he can learn to throw a spiral properly every game and every pass, he looks like there's a big upside with him in San Francisco. And there's a reason they went out on the limb and drafted him so high last year. Uh, the team probably scratching your head the most, which is kind of funny when you talk about NFL quarterbacks. You know, you look at the 2018 draft, the number one quarterback in the 2018 draft, Spencer, Baker Mayfield. The number three quarterback in the 2018 draft, Sam Darnold. Both trying right now to be the starting QB of the Carolina Panthers. Both are cast-offs from their former teams. I mean, Sam Darnold was going to be the savior of the Jets. Ah. And Baker Mayfield, man, got the Browns not only to the playoffs, but got a playoff win for the Browns. Two years later, he's gone. He's out. They pick up um, Deshaun Watson, and who knows what's going to happen with him. Right now, a six-game suspension, my guess, is going to turn into minimally a full-season suspension. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I just don't think Roger Goodell and the NFL can let it be a six-game suspension. Uh, Spencer's got something to say about that. I'll let you talk about that, since Spencer, since we are talking about quarterbacks. But again, when it comes to Baker Mayfield, who started yesterday, 4-7, 45 yards, and in one drive, Sam Donald went 2-3 of three for 16 yards, but did get a touchdown pass. I think the Panthers are in a lot of trouble with either one of those guys. I'm sorry. Don't look for Carolina to do anything special next year. My guess is they'll be shopping for another quarterback. Amazing when you've got two of the top three picks in an NFL draft only a few years removed, and neither one of them can be a starting quarterback in the league. That's pretty sad, but I think that's almost the case in uh, New York. I think Baker Mayfield will end up getting the nod when it's all said and done, but God knows what he'll do. But, Spencer, you rolled your eyes when I was talking about, uh, you know, when I was talking about the situation with the Browns and the Deshaun Watson situation in the six-game suspension. Do you not feel that it's going to be probably a full-season suspension when it's all said and done? No, there's a few things I want to talk about when it comes to the Sean Watson situation. First of all, when the Browns said they did their due diligence when they first interviewed him, they were just lying. 
they they were lying because now everything that's come out, he, Deshaun Watson has come out and apologized to the women that he offended. So, they, I mean, how sincere was that? Yeah, I mean, uh, not at all. But here, this is the real the real reason why I rolled my eyes thinking about Roger Goodell because he hired this lady to make this decision. We all know that Roger Goodell. There was a long track record of him being essentially the worst commissioner of all the major sports leagues. Like he was known, he let the Tom Brady thing happen, you know, the deflate gate and all the other cheating schemes with the Patriots. And then you came into Colin Kaepernick situation and they say he fumbled the bag there too. What I, this is what I, I believe is happening. I think he hired someone to give a light sentence that he knew would give a light sentence. That way he could come in like in the Royal Rumble, the last one to come out in WWE Royal Rumble, like he's hot and have this full game suspension basically to cement himself as the new leaf best commissioner of all the major sports leagues. It feels like something straight out of WWE, but if anybody would do it, I honestly believe it's Roger Goodell. Oh, okay. But And before I say that, a little bit of extra proof. You remember when it was like popular to boot him during the draft, right? Well, now, like when he has when he had his first remote, and now every single draft afterwards, he wants the crowd to boo him. He's taken over his own narrative. He's like, "Yeah, you could boo me right now. Look, I've taken over. Nothing you can do can stop me." He loves the whole narrative part of it. I mean, I obviously have never met the guy, and I can't confirm. It just seems like it from an outside perspective. I I can uh, I can I can see where you're coming from, Spencer, and I'm not going to disagree with you on those things. Um, I like I said, when it's all said and done, in my opinion, the the apology was it heartfelt? No, it was required. Okay, and number two is six a six game suspension long enough when you have that many allegations, regardless of what's been proven to this point. Only a few of them who've withdrawn their allegations. A lot of them are sticking to their gun, Spencer. Something really wrong is going on there. And the bottom line, I'm still amazed at this whole thing, and I'm amazed at how much money the Browns threw at Deshaun Watson. After all that, it's kind of sickening to me. And um, if I was a Browns fan, which I wasn't, I'm not at all right now. I mean. That's that's really repulsive, man. That that is. You just don't give that guy a contract. You got to let this whole thing sort itself out. And hey, I'll be the first one to apologize if it somehow comes out in the long run that he was innocent of this stuff. But come on, man. Over twenty allegations. Let's be realistic. Uh, don't get your hopes up for that, Browns fans. Deshaun Watson, in my opinion, and probably in most experts' opinion, will not be under center in two thousand twenty-two for the Cleveland Browns. Other than what you saw very briefly in the preseason season game that'll be the end of him and it should be uh i'm gonna leave it right there mags i'll bring in real quick before we wrap up the quarterback conversation uh zach wilson is to undergo right knee arthroscopic surgery for a bone bruise and a partially torn meniscus that he suffered against the Eagles yesterday in a non-contact injury. I saw it. He went down. The turf monster got up and bit him. He's only expected to be out two to four weeks. But um, I know you're not 100% sold on Zach Wilson anyway. But this poses a problem for the New York Jets because one thing is for damn sure, in my opinion, the guy that I'm pretty sure they're going to turn to is Joe Flacco. And Joe Flacco isn't leading the New York Jets out of a wet paper bag. No, but – you know, it's funny. He's been with the with the organization now. I think I think this is his second tenure because he was there uh, two years ago before they drafted Wilson. I think they let him walk. He went to the Eagles. The Eagles released him. I think he came back to the Jets. So uh, I, I will say this. I think Joe Flacco is an adequate backup quarterback. From By all accounts, he's looked pretty good in camp. It's a totally different animal when you get out there and you're facing the Baltimore Ravens in week one, a franchise that Joe Flacco knows quite well. 
Uh, you know, when I saw the Wilson stuff on Friday night, my heart sunk because I'm, I'm, I'm obviously rooting for this kid. Um, you know, it's just another another in the long line. And, you know, it's funny. You and I had a conversation the other day. We talked for, for a, a long, lengthy bit about how cursed the Detroit Lions are. And the New York Jets are right behind them. I will say this. At least my team has won a Super Bowl. Unfortunately for me, I was not even thought of at the time. My father was getting ready to to ship off to Vietnam when the Jets were winning a Super Bowl. So that tells you how long ago that was. But, uh, Brian, it, it, it's quite depressing because it just seems like this is a franchise just snake bitten. Uh, Zach Wilson, by all accounts, looked pretty good in camp. Uh, he did not look very good in that first uh, little bit of action he had. Thank goodness it's it's not a major serious season ending injury because they had already lost Mackay Becton, who was there. Uh, I think he was on the all rookie team two years ago when he was a rookie. He blew out his knee last year in game one, missed all of last season. He's done this season before the Jets even take a real snap. Uh, so so already the, the the monster of the curse bites the New York Jets. But fortunately, Zach Wilson, not going to be a serious injury. I doubt he plays week one against the Ravens, which is fine. Let Joe Flacco go out there and, and throw it around. And who knows, maybe there'll be a little bit of a revenge game for Flacco against the Ravens. We, we don't know. But uh, yeah, I it could have been much, much worse. And fortunately, uh, it, it's not. But you know, anytime you have a young quarterback and he's not able to to participate in a full training camp, it just seems like it's going to set him back. Yeah, I, I can't argue with it, Mags. And, and I will say that there is a slight amount of empathy from this Detroit Lions fan for the New York Jets. You guys have had um, some definitely negative things happen over the years like the Detroit Lions. I mean, even though Mark Sanchez did take you to two AFC championship games, he'll always be remembered for the butt fumble. So that's something that, that, that you have on your resume. Um, but I will say this, and the reason I only have a slight amount of empathy, because even though that Super Bowl was before you were thought, I was on earth when that happened. I don't remember it by any means, but I do remember Joe Willie Namath, who played into me almost going to junior high school. And what I will say is the Jets are the reason the NFL is what it is today because of that win over the mighty Colts and Joe Namath's uh, I won't say cocky prediction. He was just, it was a confident prediction. I've never thought it was cocky. I thought it was excellent and it did wonders for the NFL. But again, by beating the mighty Colts in Super Bowl three, the NFL merged with the AFL and formed what is today the National Football League. So even though it was only one Super Bowl win, it was one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic of all Super Bowl wins, because what transpired because of that victory for the Jets. And again, Joe Namath, I mean, kids today, if you say the word Joe Namath, they still know who he is. And I mean, Joe Namath is probably still, I don't want to say probably, he's without question more famous than Bart Starr, who won the first two Super Bowls. So Joe Willie and that Super Bowl win was so iconic that that's why the empathy is only slight, but no question about it. Right now, the Jets are in worse shape than the Detroit Lions as far as the actual team goes. But I'm not going to say they're in worse shape as, as far as a franchise goes in the history of sports. The Detroit Lions are still the most inept sports franchise in all of the world. And until <laughs> they win another couple of playoff games, I will continue to stand on that because my guess is I'm going to leave this planet and I won't even see that. Team you know, uh, the one saving, Bowl, the one alone, maybe even win another playoff game. Sickening, sickening, sickening. We'll move on. 
we got a huge game today. And when I say it's a huge game, it's a huge game because it is the start of a new era for the Raiders. They are coming off of, I don't want to say a tumultuous season, because the season that saw them go to the playoffs and stand toe-to-toe with the, with the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. They did on the road. They probably played, other than the Rams, Cincinnati, as well as anybody that played them did in the postseason. They definitely played them better than the Tennessee Titans did. So uh, you want to give credit where credit is due. The Raiders played well last season, but wholehearted changes, as we know. And um, new head coach, uh, one of the top wide receivers in the game. There's no question you cannot argue as far as skilled position goes. The Raiders have an above-average quarterback. They have... uh, arguably a top three wide receiver in the National Football League in Devontae Adams. They have an arguably top three slot wide receiver in the National Football League in Hunter Renfro. They've got arguably a top three to four tight end in the National Football League in Darren Waller. So, And then look at the running back situation. I mean, you're talking about a running back now that is a two-way running back, a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield and also run the football on the edge and and up the power alleys in Josh Jacobs. If he can stay healthy, he has all pro potential written all over him. You've got backups in Kenyon Drake and now uh, um, the, uh, the and, and the other Lions running old Amir running back Amir Abdullah. So you are really deep at the running back position. Uh, skilled as can be at the wide receiver and tight end position. Your quarterback is adequate. No question. The offensive line is a big question mark. Probably the reason that Derek Carr and Devontae Adams aren't seeing any time in the first two preseason games. But the bottom line is, is that, uh, is that, um, other than the offensive line, the offense is solid defensively, your edge pass rushers, top three when you put the two of them together right now. How do you argue with that? Max Crosby's been nothing but a complete beast so far in preseason. We'll see what he does today. If how much He's not going to get a lot of time in this game, but he will play. Um, and then linebacker Denzel Perryman ends up in the Pro Bowl last year, comes into his own, coming over from Carolina. Huge upside. The guy can stop the run and play the pass. The secondary I know you have question marks on the secondary, but Abrams has gotten better and better every year. I know he has coverage problems. I know he makes a few mistakes out there, but he is a hard-hitting defensive back. People don't like coming across the middle when he's standing there because he will light you up. They do have some decent uh, some decent depth. Not Maybe not depth in the secondary, but some veteran experience. I like this Raiders team, and I expect this Raiders team to be a postseason team, regardless of the fact they are playing in the toughest division in football and what's crazy we talked about a little bit last week on the show but the odds makers have them at plus 4,000 to win the Super Bowl and those are the worst odds of any team in the AFC West the Broncos are ahead of them at plus 1,800 and uh and um it's really surprising. And of course you knew the chiefs and the, the chargers, both viable super bowl contenders right now, even though the chiefs lost Tyreek Hill, that is still a veteran team that has as much postseason experience as anybody out there. Spencer, um, I like the Raiders this year. I do. I think this is a team that can get over the hump. Yes. McDaniels is a question mark a little bit, but you've seen offensive coordinators have more success in the NFL underneath Bill Belichick than defensive coordinators coming from new England. I like the fit all the way around right now. And it seemed like the Raiders are really warming up to their new head coach. And again, wait till we get to see Derek Carr and Devonte Adams, who are not only best of friends, 
They played in college together, and there is a great deal of chemistry between between these two guys. They work out together during the offseason. They have throughout their five-year NFL careers. I look for both of these guys to step up their game even more this year, and the, the big thing to me is going to be, can this offensive line protect Derek Carr? If they can, Spencer, if they can give him a three-second window to throw the ball, the sky's the limit for the Raiders. I do believe that. It should be, and this is the most important year in Derek Carr's career. Uh, so they went to the playoffs last year, and the team got better. So on paper, yes. I've been talking about this every week, about how much better every other team in the division has gotten, which is unfortunate. Seems to be the luck of the Raiders. This is the best team they've had since 2003, bar none. There's nothing even really close. I guess you could maybe look at the Jason Campbell 2010 teams, which were fairly good, but never had a star receiver. Haven't had a star receiver since Tim Brown and Jerry Rice, you know, laced up in 2003. Randy Moss maybe for that one year, but uh, other than that, you know, it's been pretty rough. In terms of just star players in general, the Raiders organization, you could look back at Richard Seymour maybe back in the day and Namdi Asamoah. Uh, my Raiders knowledge from the most obscure teams is just sickening. But, uh, you know, you look down top to bottom, there's a lot of great skill. There's a lot of top tier. There's a lot of all to, all pro potential. Chandler Jones, Max Crosby, Darren Waller, Devontae Adams. I mean, I can't think of the last time the Raiders had two all pro players on their team at the Hunter same time. Renfro made it last year. Yeah. Well, how can he not be an all pro again? So, I mean, is this? I'm not going to say the season's – over or done with, depending on week one. But the way that the Raiders look against top-tier talent against the Chargers in week one, and they'll probably get better as the year goes on, but that's going to tell me, I feel like, everything that I need to know. They have been dominated by the Chiefs for the past, like, three years. They haven't had a win against them. Or no, maybe they've had, like, one. But most of the time, and especially last year, there was literally a score agami. The Chiefs beat the Raiders so bad. They, they beat them so bad, there was a unique score that had never happened in the NFL prior. I don't know if Chandler Jones and Max Crosby are going to be the answer to that. But again, if the Raiders are truly going to get over the hump, that's what needs to happen. I think I talked about this last week in something that is at least an encouraging sign. Okay. Cause you're never going to take away anything from the preseason in terms of like how good of a team is, but they did go into the hall of fame game, extremely prepared. And when you look at it and they seem to be running things pretty smartly. Cause when you look at the back of quarterbacks to them, is he, the best backup quarterback in the NFL? No. But he stepped into camp when they traded for him, like for a six-round pick. And he's giving everybody on the team valuable reps. Because if you look at Nick Mullins, he actually actually he um, had a pretty decent game there in that week one. But when you look at a lot of situations around the NFL that bring in veteran quarterbacks, like, you know, Case Keenum or whatever the case may be, who are talented, right? They're talented backups, but they don't know the system. And they're getting second-team reps. Jared came in and he's getting better reps. There was a kid, I think his name was like Chris Johnson or Johnson, I think was his last name for the Raiders in that first preseason game. Had a lot of good catches, but that's only because they had a quarterback uh, throwing to him that knew exactly where he was going to be. Like he could run the offense week one. He could have the day he stepped into camp because he knew where all his players are. Of course, there's a little bit of timing when it comes to receivers, but more importantly, if the quarterback knows your system. So they seem to be doing things from top to bottom in ways that I like. Again, I've talked about the secondary very nervous okay like they, they gotta have some guys step up like nate hobbs more than he probably should have to then you're gonna have some guys like Jayon brown who's had some injury problems with the linebacker position replace kj wright who had an amazing season last year trying to replace casey hayward all of these things are going to be a factor and when i see on the depth chart though that jonathan abrams is still the starting safety it makes me nervous okay 
if, if nobody can outperform Jonathan Abrams at the safety position in training camp, then I think we're off to the wrong foot. Look, everybody's on their last year, so this is probably going to be the best year of Josh Jacobs' career, of Jonathan Abrams' career, which is probably a good thing. I still don't know if they're going to be on the team next year, but, man, I do not want Jonathan Abrams starting at safety. I feel like that's a really disaster. Every time I think about Jonathan Abrams, the only thing I can think of is one play he had against the Kansas City Chiefs where he was supposed to be the deep middle zone, and he decided to play up short in the middle. And Travis Kelsey just had a wide-open touchdown down the middle, and he looked like he had no idea what had just happened, Jonathan Abrams, even though that was his zone. So, we'll, you know, the season obviously is so young. I want to see him play more in the preseason and see what he looks like, but I don't know. He came in so deficient, Jonathan Abrams, in terms of his skill, not his motor, his skill, that I don't know if you can learn that fast in the NFL. That's how hard the game is. That's the Raiders may be looking elsewhere next year in the first round, I'm pretty sure. I am going to go out on a limb and say Jonathan Abrams is going to have his best year as a Raider. What does that mean? Well, we'll see, but I think he's going to play better this year uh, Yeah, as a safety. And again, because he does lay the lumber, he is a hard-hitting defensive back, and physicality can go a long way, and I think it works well for the Raiders team. Real quickly, Kevin O'Connell is set for his first preseason game with the Vikings. The last team to take the field in the preseason will be the Vikings today at um, Allegiant Stadium. Kirk Cousins won't play. He's out with COVID-19, so Kellen Mond and Sean Mannion are competing for the backup spot. Um, both have had their ups and downs in training camp, and if neither is able to establish himself in the preseason, it is possible the Vikings will have to find a backup elsewhere uh, before the season begins. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see the Vikings. I have no problem when the Vikings suck because I can't stand them, and I think they'll suck this year. And it's amazing because Kirk Cousins, of course, a QB at my alma mater, Michigan State, and I don't like the guy at all. I never have. He's the recipient of RG3 getting hurt his first year. He got to step in, and he's been at times at best an above-average quarterback that I think talks too much. But then again, people say I talk too much. So, you know, what are you going to say? Real quickly, before we run out of time, I didn't want to say the Las Vegas Aviators – uh, after going 4-19 and in their last 23 games, Jim Gemma Man has been beside himself. Uh, the Las Vegas Aviators, AAA franchise of the Oakland A's, have won their last three in a row and finish up a seven-game set in Tacoma today before heading to Sacramento um, for three games. They return to Las, the Las Vegas ballpark this coming Friday. I believe it's a firework night. They'll be in town for nine games, six versus Sacramento, and then three versus one of my favorite team names, the Sugarland. Uh, Space Cowboys. I love that name. Uh, and they've got three games against that. Again, if you haven't been down to Las Vegas ballpark, people definitely check it out. Once again, the Raiders take the field this afternoon, uh, 125 kickoff time here in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. And of course, the Aces at noon today at Michelob Ultra Arena playing in their final regular season game, a chance to end up with the best record in the WNBA and the number one seed out of the eight teams will make it. That would be huge. And again, Sue Bird retires today at Michelob Ultra Arena. Listen, want to thank everyone for joining the show. I'm going to work on getting Chet, uh, um, getting uh, the Wiz a new shirt for next week. I know we can see all of your little fuzz going on here. Just a little bit of bacon, a little bit, a little, a little bit of bacon neck with your shirt, though. It's hanging a little low today, so I'm going to get him a nice new Fox Sports T-shirt to wear next week. Anyways, I want to thank Spencer for being here, helping out. Of course, Magnum uh, back in the Fox Sports Residential Bankrupt Studio, always doing a great job back there. I'm Brian Feldman. We will be back on same time, same place next week, Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock, every uh, Sunday here on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM, flagship 
of the Vegas Golden Knights and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.